Hi, I'm Marika and welcome to Money Chill Out. On this podcast, I want to dive into the world of the often unspoken topic of money. Effective personal finance management can be a great liberator, but also a huge stress factor in our lives. After a 10-year career on trading floors in London, I want to help demystify the intimidating world of finance and have an open, honest and frank conversation. By opening the discussion, I wish you identify yourself, learn, be inspired and get empowered. Every other week, I'll be joined by guests for conversation on money, mindset, investment habits and any best practices they abide by. So join me on this journey as we unpick the complexities of finance and get more comfortable talking about our money. My guest today is Martina. She is English, lives in London, and we met on the trading floor. More than that, she is an inspiring woman in a lot of ways. She reads around 30 books a year, she is sporty, runs, swims and cycles, and often pushes herself. Of her hit list, she has done few races up to the Paris Marathon. She is so driven that on top of a full-time job, She launched a self-care company called From Greenwich Skin as she's passionate about beauty products. So if you want to treat yourself with bath bombs, face serums and so on, have a look at her handmade business. So hi Martina, how are you? Hey, I'm C, I'm doing great, thanks. How are you? Yeah, really, really good. I really can't wait for our discussion. And because I have so many questions, let's go to our topic straight away so that we not out of time. So first question, do you actually like managing your money? Yeah, this is a really interesting question, actually, and one I have to like really think about. I think it's a bit half-half, right? Because I think you enjoy things to do with finance and managing your money when things are going well and your investments are going well. If your goal is to save and you're doing well in saving, you know, every time you check your bank account, if it's kind of going good, I think I quite enjoy it. And I think oh, I'm doing a great job and like totally in control. Like I love this. I've got this. I enjoy it significantly less when things aren't going my way because then you're obviously like flustered and a little bit stressed. So yeah, I think there's, there's times when I enjoy it a lot more. So if I'm working towards something, whether it's a big purchase or an investment goal or something, I'm a little bit more mindful of all my inflows and outflows. And I'm a lot more diligent with my cash management. And that's when I think I feel like I'm in control and I can almost enjoy it because I know what I'm doing. Um, Times when I find myself in limbo and when I'm not really achieving anything and kind of, you know, Apple Pay here or tap contact list to pay here. And I look at my bank account and I'm like, oh, well then what's happened? I was expecting to have XYZ in the account. I think that's when it's a little bit less fun. So it's just kind of depends what I'm doing and what I'm working towards as to how much I enjoy it and how much I appreciate kind of money management. Yeah, no, definitely. And being focused clearly helps. Otherwise, you don't know where it's gone. So do you spend a lot of time on it? I don't know if it's per week or per month. As you said, you're tracking like what's going in and out. I used to be really bad at this, especially before I bought my house because I kind of wasn't really saving for anything. So it was very much just kind of get my pay slip, spend on whatever I wanted to and didn't pay too much attention to it. I've always tried to save a certain amount of my salary for like a rainy day and just to have a certain amount of savings like in my bank account. But I think it's when you're actively saving towards something, you are a lot more diligent with the management. So I know when I'm kind of working towards something, I'll very much kind of 
go back through my bank statements, just double check exactly what my bills are, what I'm expecting to, you know, be spending. And I'm a lot more diligent on things that I am actually spending money on. So I remember when I was saving for my apartment, for example, like I would notice every dinner out in London, which like for the best part is always about a hundred pounds. And I'd be like, okay, you spent a hundred pounds on Thursday night. So that means on Friday night, you can't spend anything. So yeah, that's kind of the way I've been playing it just to be a little bit more strict with myself really. And just having, I think once you kind of know the ins and outs of your bank account, you feel a little bit more in control and a little bit more comfortable with your spending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. having a clear goal in mind. I mean, yeah, it's definitely easier. And being surrounded by numbers like all day long, does it make it easy for you to talk about money or, or not really? Like, is it actually the contrary? Because, you know, you're in that finance bubble and actually you need to be more mindful. I think it does make it a lot more comfortable. I think because you're so surrounded by every single day, kind of the mystique of it and the financial terms and kind of investment, you're just a lot more comfortable about talking about numbers and like terminology. I think every time you're more like exposed to something, it just becomes less and less scary. Yeah, it really demystify it. Yeah, and it's just you're surrounded by it daily. So when it does come time to talk about your finances, whether it's even like checking it in with yourself and being like completely honest, like with yourself and your bank account, because so many times you're just like, oh, avoid checking a statement. I don't want to know what I spent. Like, I know I've been a bit naughty this month. But even if you're like talking with yourself or especially, you know, if like there's friends that you want to speak about finances with or if you're life planning uh, with a partner, you know, it's so important to be able to have those conversations and to make sure that financially you're comfortable to open up and discuss things when you're building towards something. So, yeah, I think it's definitely helped. And that's, that's been quite good. Yeah. And definitely, as you said, like knowledge is power because you don't know you can do anything about it. Whereas, you know, you have no excuse anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're just not living in fear of that bank account because you're just like, well, that's it. Like I'm taking control. Yeah. So I think like for me, like in order to be like really good at managing your portfolio and so on, you first need to know about yourself. So you need to know like what your goals are, like what you want to achieve which personality you have, what risk you're willing to take, what time horizon you're focused on, and so on and so forth. Because it's so important to actually make your money look like you. So tell us a bit more about like your money mindset or money goals. Yeah, so I think like generally I'm quite relaxed about my money goals. And I think that just comes from a certain level of comfort with your finances. So it very much depends on like what I'm working towards. So if it is like a big purchase, like my apartment um, like a year and a half ago, I'm just so much more mindful of like what I'm doing and making my money work for me. So I was very much like monitoring my stocks and shares of what I had invested at the time so much more. I was very much kind of like conscious of my savings. And also just kind of, you know, my thought was if I invest into property, you know, that's historically been like a very stable type of investment. You know, it's kind of what you're conditioned to do in your, you know, 30s. I'm not going to disclose my age completely. <laughs> but, you know, like I think it's super important to have goals and whether that's, you know, building towards, you know, buying a place to live or kind of having enough liquid cash to allow yourself freedom to whether it's to like travel or always have enough in a bank to feel like you're comfortable so you know if you ever have like a really rubbish Monday and you want to quit your job you kind of can because I think it's like super nice having that cushion and I remember when I first bought my place and you know my life savings essentially went out the bank in like five minutes I was like oh my god I feel completely like naked now of all my securities gone like what's gonna happen so, you know, there's definitely stress associated with that. But also, I remember when I was a graduate at one of the banks that I worked at and somebody like a senior banker, and I have no idea how this like statistic came about, or how his numbers came about. 
but he kind of off the cuff mentioned that he always keeps like three times his salary in his bank account for like a rainy day or like an emergency fund and I don't know why but that's kind of like stuck with me since I was like 22 so that's definitely something that I like also try to have it's really important to just have that kind of emergency stack for whatever life might throw at you so yeah that's kind of how my money mindset is I think I try to keep it relatively relaxed unless I'm working towards something and then it's like watching every single pound go in and out and I'm very kind of frugal about it (laughs) that's good but that's how you achieve there's no yeah (laughs) it's like there's no secret to it it's this kind of like it's just a lot of kind of sacrifice and you know there's certain things that you're willing to splurge on that are a bit more important to you and sometimes you just have to say no to a couple of things and before I did this podcast I was speaking to like my partner about doing this podcast and I was like oh, how did I like, you know, really save so much for my deposit for my house? Because I felt like I was still going out, etc. And it came to my mind that actually I wasn't going out at all because it seems every time in my life where I've needed to save money, I've always gone and signed up for like a marathon, an ultra marathon, an ultra swim or something to the point where I spend the money on the registration fee. And then because I have to train so much to do a good job, I basically end up not going out or spending any money because I'm always stuck at, you know, running or at the swimming pool. So that's a, um, that seems to be like a strategy that I've fallen into. So if someone's like, do you want to come out? I'm like, oh, I can't because I've got to be in the swimming pool at 5.30 in the morning. So yeah, there you go. hundred bucks in my pocket. <laughs> now that's not financial advice. That's just been like kind of what I found myself doing by default. <laughs> Yeah, so basically having your medium term goal, let's say, or like that big yeah, one that you need basically is offset by the fact that you also have a short term motivation that basically takes all of your time. That's perfect. I love it. Exactly. Yeah. So I highly recommend signing up for a marathon if you need to save for something, because one, you're going to be too tired to go out. And number two, you're going to be like too devoted to your training to go out. <laughs> That's cool. So in terms of your career, so you're pretty successful and often again, so it's still with the money mentality. So often the more you earn, the more you spend and hence the more you need. And then it's like a vicious circle, which is really annoying. So is it true for you or you manage to be quite detached from that aspect of always wanting more? Honestly, I kind of really wanted my answer for this to be that I can completely detach myself and not fall into like the trap. But if I'm being like 100% honest, like I think, you know, I definitely do. But I do think, you know, the one thing that I found, especially as my career has progressed and you've kind of, you know, gone up the the payment ladder, I very much prioritize on like spending on things that are like really important to me. So like when I lived in New York and Asia and obviously worked in like Tokyo, Hong Kong and Singapore, like travel became so, so important to me. And it's something I've tried to kind of continue since being back in London for the last five years. And so I think, you know, the more I earn, the more I kind of want to just go and have like bigger and better experiences. And I think that's a much nicer motivator than, you know, like a silly bag or a silly pair of shoes, which I mean, in lockdown, like stuff's just been sat there in my wardrobe, you know, for a year, basically. But, I, you know, I do think that you do kind of the more you earn, you know, things do kind of increase and your desires do increase. You just have to maybe self-check in a little bit as to like what's the really important things you're willing to spend money on and what's just kind of frugal and a bit more for show. Exactly. And I think as well, as long as your money, the the way you spend your money is aligned to your values, then it's fine because your happiness increases. If you just buy for the purpose or for the sake of buying, I mean. Yeah, it's a pretty empty purchase in the end. Whereas I think if you've gone like on a great trip, I mean, we both ended up in South Africa at the same time. And, you know, that was arguably a long haul holiday, which, you know, needed a little bit more financing. 
And it was one of the best things ever. We still kind of laugh about the trip and talk about it, you know, fondly now. So I think it's, yeah, very much aligning us to what's important to you and things that you're willing to spend money on. And I know for myself, both for kind of my mental health and kind of just getting out and exploring and seeing things, it's something that's like an unquestionable thing to me. Whereas on the other things, I just can't find myself to like pull the trigger because I know fundamentally it's not a reflection of who I am. Yeah, love that mentality. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you're much the same. So I think we relate on that one quite well. (laughs) True travel 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 <laughs> yeah and like food and travel is probably like the, the two things that are just like oh really hard for me to negotiate on yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and tricky question then do you imagine yourself to earn less yeah that's a really tough one because obviously with like earning a certain salary there's a certain level of comfort that comes with it I would imagine any point if I were to be earning less and you know I mean that could happen without my own decisions but I would imagine if that's the case, I'd like to think at least I'm doing something that's fulfilling in other ways. So whether that's kind of doing something similar to you and kind of leaving my corporate job and starting up my own venture or a a solo startup or something. So I think, you know, I would like to think that if that is the case, it's because I'm doing something that's fulfilling me in, in different ways. Yeah, love it. So because you like seem to be pretty good with investment and so on, I really want to dive into like that investment habits and, and the way you learn as well. So can you tell me a bit more about your assets, where you've invested or place your money? Yeah, so it's been quite varied, actually, because I think when it comes down to my own finances, I'm kind of neither particularly risk averse, but I'm also not particularly risky. So obviously, one big investment has been my property. And, you know, that took me a little while. It took me a while to actually commit to buying a place because where I'd worked internationally before, I was so scared of kind of being locked in one place for too long. So I remember when I first moved back to London about five years ago and I found a flat that I really, really loved, but it came unfurnished. And I was like, well, I can't take it because I need a furnished apartment just in case I ever need to leave again. And my mom was like, well, why don't you just like spend, you know, like three grand and buy yourself a sofa? And I like, I remember this so crystal clear. I just said to my mom, I was like, mom, I cannot be a sofa owner at like 27 or something, which is like a ridiculous thing to say. So, you know, the fact that I ended up buying up my own place, it took me a while to get around to the idea of actually being fixed in one location and investing into something long term. So that was one of the big ones. And also I bought my place when the whole Brexit argument was just kicking off. So uh, we were about to leave the EU officially. You know, there were predictions of like the London housing bubble crashing, etc. And so I guess arguably it was a little bit risky for me to go ahead and buy my place at a relatively unstable time. Now, touch wood, it's all worked out okay so far. And the housing market seems to have been resilient throughout COVID as well. So long that may continue. But also, you know, any kind of excess cash that I have and that I want to diversify away just from my savings account and my property, I invest in equities quite heavily. So there's a lot of stocks and industries that I think will do well kind of going forward. I've gone quite long on, especially kind of during the COVID period. Just again, because I think I replenished some of my funds from buying the place. So there's been a little bit more money to play with. But I also like look at more unique stocks, so stocks that kind of capture my attention, which sometimes I can think might be like a little bit undervalued. So like one example that I bought, and this hasn't turned out to be my greatest investment, I have to say, but I bought some shares of a Canadian cannabis producer because of the whole CBD movement. So I think, you know, it's important to kind of keep things fun and light as well. And during COVID, I did a lot of the online workouts that became super popular. And one of my friends who lives in New York, she used to go to this gym where, which is essentially, it's run by an ex-convict who, when he went into prison, you know, to his tiny cell, he was a lot larger. 
And he basically spent like his time in jail, just like training and getting absolutely ripped in this like tiny, tiny cell. So he came out and basically set up a gym, which is very much kind of like prison style workouts. And he recruits other ex-convicts who are looking to like better their life. And number one, the workouts are like incredible. So shout out to Combody, like it was so good. But it also did, you know, a cash raising thing where they asked some of their members to, you know, like invest into the company and help it grow. So, you know, there's, so I obviously threw some cash behind it because I like, I love the concept and I really want them to grow. And so I think, yeah, in terms of investments, I think, you know, I have my kind of foundation, my like safe assets that I'm kind of confident are going to be doing well in the long term horizon. But I also throw in some money into like more fun stocks or ventures because I think it's important to, you know, you have to be sensible with your financing and planning, but also you can also have some fun with it. And there are some great like entities and companies doing interesting things. So, you know, if you support the vision, I think you can, you know, comfortably back it if you're comfortable to do so. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So for you, like basically when you're about to invest, wherever it is, you would look at probably, of course, like the story behind it. Do you like it? The fact that maybe it's undervalued, so more like the value aspect. Yeah, definitely. Main two things probably you would look at. And as well, the diversification. So as you said, you're pretty exposed on real estate as everybody the house so basically you want to go away from that in order to spread your risk and in terms of self-improvement sorry so if you think I don't know there's something I'm not really at ease or something I'm not really sure about how would you increase your knowledge so I guess I'm super lucky the fact that I do work in the finance industry we have access to lots of information like via your Bloomberg or your Reuters terminals etc um so it's quite easy to look things up but Honestly, there's so much stuff that I catch just via listening to like some podcasts or even having like Bloomberg TV on in the background because there's always people coming up and talking about industries and specific stocks and things to look out for. So I really think there's no magic formula to it. It's just very much like exposing yourself to as much information as possible. And, you know, like some of it stuff you'll hear and it'll be completely redundant and you're not interested. There might be a stock mentioned that you maybe haven't heard of before or something that's coming to market that might be of interest to you. So I know for me, like, I'm very keen to learn a little bit more about some of the riskier assets and maybe some other diversification assets into my portfolio. And it's not my natural kind of knowledge point. So I spend a lot of time just kind of reading and researching, listen to the Economist podcast, having Bloomberg TV on, which I think you can stream via like YouTube or something. Reuters is exactly the same. And you know, it's amazing how much you can pick up just via hearing it as background noise and not, you know, you don't necessarily have to sit there and look at Excel spreadsheets and, you know, look at graph charts, etc. There's plenty of articles galore that you can kind of check things out on. Like one of my favorite blogs is, it can be a little bit more technical sometimes, but I think if you have a decent foundation on finance, you'll, you'll be able to follow it quite easy. Like seeking alpha, there's always market commentary and views from experts on things. So I think, you know, there's a plethora of tools that you can use to like learn more about it. And it's not as technical as people think. Yeah. And thanks for seeking Alpha. I know it as well. And it's and it's pretty good. So it's so good. Yeah, I love it. And like, I mean, granted, some of the articles are quite long. So, you know, get yourself a good cup of coffee. But it's all very interesting. And I think they write it just at kind of the right level for people to be able to follow it who aren't necessarily exposed to the day to day terms. And as well, like being switched on, which seems it's your way. Basically, even though you're not really actively looking for something, just being switched on means, oh yeah, 
let's listen to this. Oh, interesting idea. Oh, interesting stock and so on and so forth. And then you can relate to, ah, actually I should invest because X, Y, Z and I didn't think about it. So yeah, I think being switched on as you are is amazing. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think, you know, I'm always pushing my friends to like read these articles and check this out because I think it's incredible how much your brain actually absorbs without you realizing that you're absorbing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And if we go back to like a subject more like about money at work. So I know you said like you're pretty at ease speaking with money, which is like a Mm -hmm. choice. And we all know in banking, especially like the salary buckets, which depends on your grades or even your experience are really wide. So how do you know you paid a fair amount? And how basically do you compare yourself with your colleagues? And how do you create a benchmark for yourself? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. And I think, you know, people outside of finance think you probably don't realize how broad the whole like. So I think, you know, I'm a VP level right now. And that band in terms of salaries from kind of the lowest to the highest is so wide ranging both within you know my own institution as well as like looking at all the other banks in the street as well so you know it's, it's a big pool to kind of work your way around but I think the best way I found it for me I have some friends in finance so again we're all quite comfortable talking about our money so we you know we quite comfortably disclose kind of where we're at and what bonuses we're getting but also like as annoying as sometimes it can be like I take most calls from most recruiters because I love to know what's going on in the market and like what are the salary bases that people are marketing jobs on. I think that's such a great way to just figure out where your industry is pricing things at. So I will always take calls. I'll always be pretty honest with my salary expectations. And then just to see kind of what banks meet those and, you know, what banks pay for certain jobs. Again, it's just kind of like knowledge is power type of thing. Mm -hmm. And if I get a sense that I'm significantly underpaid for my skill set, I mean, you know, some of my ex-bosses. So, you know, I'm not one to kind of shy away from mentioning that, you know, there's potential for me to maybe get paid a little bit more. So yeah, that's kind of the way that I approach it. It is a very individualistic situation as well because the bank variances are so huge. So I think it's very much kind of like knowing the benchmark of where things are around and then, you know, knowing if you think you deserve that or not. Like fundamentally, we all know if like we're doing a good job or if we're not. So if I feel like I'm, you know, exceeding expectations, I know that, for example, I can command a little bit more. If I know I'm doing a bit of a terrible job, then maybe I won't rock the boat too much at that point in time. (laughs) So, so have you ever asked for a pay rise or you never had the, um, I don't know, the opportunity? No, so I've actually like, and it's quite embarrassing to say, but I don't think I've ever outright asked for a pay rise. I think with banking, so, and I don't know whether this is industry specific, I suspect not, but you know, you have kind of quarterly check-ins with your boss and kind of how things are going. And, you know, one thing I always raise is like, you know, and also we could do a little bit more than remuneration. The one time that I got like a very out of cycle pay rise was when my boss found out I was interviewing at a competitor bank. So he very quickly found some extra money in the in his back pocket. But I think, you know, I'm pretty switched on as to like where other banks are paying and where my peers are getting paid. So it's something that I'm always kind of on top of. And if I'm not happy, I will express it to the point of like, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do something. If not, then we'll push this a little bit further. Yeah, so it's transparency and open and honest discussion that the way. Yeah, look, I think you need to be pretty upfront, right? Like if you don't think you're getting your values worth, it's you know, it's worth saying something. And you know, if your boss can do something about it, great. If they can't and then you get another job and you say like the my reason for leaving is money, it's not like it's something you've never disclosed before. 
So I think, yeah, it's important that kind of your expectations, you know, you kind of set your expectations for yourself, but you also put them out there. You don't just keep it to yourself and hope that your boss will notice that you're doing a great job. No, no, it definitely. And, and on top, it basically takes all the frustration out of you because you've expressed something. So I think it's like so, so, so important to do. Yeah, it's liberating kind of like having that chat and being like, look, I've told you where I'm at. The ball's kind of in your court as opposed to like, you know, be sat there on your desk or at home, like seething that, you know, you feel like you're not getting paid enough or you're being taken advantage of. Yeah, yeah. 100%. (laughs) 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 I've uh, left some questions like which are a bit more fun for the end. So what have you done, if ever, with your money that doesn't fit with your personality? Oh, like so much stuff. So I'm like a sucker for impulse buys, but it won't be like useful stuff. It will basically be like fashion outfits that are just a little bit rogue. So, I mean, like, you know me, you've seen me in work and outside of work. Like, I think my style is pretty laid back, like kind of plain Nordic cool with a bit of like Parisian chic is how I like to describe it. But it's all very kind of, you know, your blacks, your greys, your navies and stuff. But then there'll be times I'll be like on net of water and the sale will be on or something. And I once bought myself this like cashmere jacket with like a faux fur trim (laughs) that just looks, I mean, it's so not me. And while it looked like fabulous in the shop, like I've never worn it out. I think I've worn it maybe once in the car to like go to the store because I just look like a weird like Russian oligarch or something. Like (laughs) it is just so not me. And the thing is, I don't have the heart to like throw it away because it was a little bit expensive and it is like a nice piece of clothing, but it's so not me. And then another time I bought, I bought this like Dolce & Gabbana dress when I was 26, maybe, because I thought at some point in my life, there's going to be like a fabulous black tie event to wear this to. Evidently, I was thinking my life was going to be very glamorous and I wasn't just going to be stuck on a trade floor from like seven o'clock in the morning to seven o'clock at night. But every time I've had an event to like go to, to like potentially wear this dress, I think I've like hyped it up so much in my mind for it to be such a special event that I've never worn, like I've literally never worn this dress. And I think like once a year, I'll try it on just to make sure that it still fits, like just in case. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like such like stupid, like money spending thing. So I'm very like, yeah, I'm a sucker for like a big extravagant purchase. That's like a big fashion statement, but it's just absolutely not my style to wear it. But I kind of like just having it in the wardrobe, like just in case the opportunity arises. I love it. So you have a plan, but it's... <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the plan is there, but it just never comes to fruition. But if anybody has got like a black tie event where, you know, you need a good dress and like a strong jacket, like I'm your girl, look me up on Instagram. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> <That is> good. <laughs> and like there's a lot of people who like listening to us who may not have like the same financial background as you have. So what is the best money advice you would give them? Either to start or something that learn from someone or that is coming from your own experience so I think it'd be like it'd be three points right I think number one is I like this rule and like I said there's no science to it but always have three months worth of salary in your bank account for any emergencies or anything unforeseen I think that gives you like a nice level of cushioning so you know if something went wrong with your job you can still pay your rent etc I think that's super important I think the next thing is just to have control over your finances and that doesn't mean to like know everything That's just knowing like your monthly inflows and outflows, because I think once you know those and once you're comfortable with those, that just takes off so much more of the pressure. And you'll notice when you're kind of going a little bit spend heavy and maybe you'll then do something to counteract that. And I think that's really, really important. Just kind of like fundamentally knowing where your bank balance should be at and kind of what you're trying to do. And then the next thing I think, you know, once you're kind of comfortable with your base foundation, 
if you haven't been investing in things, you know, there are so many apps now that allow you to like buy stocks that are even commission free, even, which are like great starting points. So, you know, take a couple of shares that you are companies that you know that you're familiar with, that you think have got some longevity, that are a long time investment that you think are going to be doing well over the next few years. And, you know, like start small, like as a, as a starting point and just see how that works out for you. Investing doesn't have to be like, you know, putting everything into Bitcoin and hoping to God that, you know, Elon Musk tweets about it. You can start very small and, you know, you'll, and you'll notice the shares fluctuate and sometimes it'll be like a great day and you'll feel like awesome and sometimes it'll be a bit more rubbish, but it will just get you kind of familiar with investment and the feeling of it. And, you know, you kind of invest what you can. You don't have to invest everything in the hopes of making money or for a quick profit. I think that's probably the wrong way to approach it initially. Yeah. And I think what you said, like, is starting is the key because you don't start, you don't know. So cool. I think we're arriving at the end of this podcast. So thank you so much, Martina, for all your You're welcome. insights into like, especially your traders own money management, because I don't think we often speak about that subject. So I love like changing people's opinion on a, of a job or the kind of people who do them. So I'm really happy that you're a female trader. <laughs> and I think you're yeah. giving us all this um, amazing advice and experiences. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That's the end of this episode. I hope you are as enthusiastic as I am. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and spread the words. And if you want to go further in mastering this beautiful adventure of owning your finances, please contact me on Instagram at moneychilloutz or on my website at marikafino.com. I offer workshops and coaching to guide you through.